Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. So the theme of this week's news is going to be networks rebranding themselves. Um, For starters, the DIY network, which is associated with HGTV, it's like, so you know how like there's Food Network and the Cooking Channel and the Cooking Channel is like the higher tier for most cable packages. Same deal with DIY in its association with HGTV. It's being rebranded in January of 2022, and it's going to become the Magnolia Network. And so this is Chip and Joanna Gaines who started out on HGTV. You probably know them because they are everywhere. (laughs) Um, They have a giant line of crap at Target. They are the stars of um, what's the Discovery Plus which is uh, the streaming network that this company that also owns the DIY network and HGTV and all blah, blah, blah. Um, they, a lot of their stuff launched Discovery Plus. Um, that actually happened in reverse. Before the pandemic hit, uh, the plan was to launch Magnolia Network and then to go streaming, and they just did it backwards. So on January 5th, 2022, the DIY Network is going to become Magnolia Network, and they're going to start with the premiere of Fixer Upper Welcome Home, which is obviously a spinoff of Fixer Upper, which was the Chip and Joanna Gaines series, and that has already aired on Discovery+. Plus. So if you have Discovery+, Plus and you've watched this, and you are Chip and Joanna fans, you've already seen everything that they are starting this network with. They're also going to be airing Magnolia Table, which is Joanna's cooking show, which I always see the commercials for, and it looks so annoying, and a bunch of other stuff, too. Um, Some other shows that are on Discovery Plus now is going to be like Restoration Road, um, Superdad, and then also all of the Fixer Upper shows are going to be there. Um, This Old House reruns. And maybe new episodes. I don't know if that shit is still airing or not. (laughs) Are going to move there as well. Um, And then they're also going to shift over some DIY shows. Like Barnwood Builders. um, Restoring Galveston. I'm looking for the list. uh, Bargain Mansions and Main Cabin Masters. So if you watch the DIY network. I don't know what is even on that network. I only watched it once. um, To watch Vanilla Ice's show. To see what the hell it was all about. So I don't know if that's on either, but if it was, it's canceled. So those are the only shows that are coming over from DIY Network. So speaking of networks rebranding themselves, um, so this, I forget the name of what it used to be, but um, Great American Classics or the Great American Channel, I forget what it actually was. Um, GAC. Everyone's calling it GAC. Great American Country, I think, might have been what it actually was. Um, this was a channel, again, a, like a low-end cable channel that like you may have and just never know. I have it and did not know until I went looking for it. Um, also, a Discovery channel uh, owned by Discovery Inc., you know, who also, like I said, just does Magnolia Network and DIY HGTV, HGTV et cetera, et cetera. Um, used to run like car shows and bull riding shows and reruns of a hundred million random things rebranded this past week as great American country family or GAC family. 
<laughs> and it's being run by everyone's favorite cable television homophobe, Bill Abbott, who, if you are not familiar, used to run the Hallmark Channel. And he was the person responsible for that big blow up in 2019 when Hallmark decided not to air the Zola commercials because they featured a lesbian couple. It wasn't just a lesbian couple. It was a whole bunch of couples getting married. And one of them was same-sex women, a same-sex female couple. And he decided they weren't going to air it. And it was a huge media shitstorm. It was like in the New York Times and it got trending on Twitter for like four days. It was a huge thing. Well, he got fired for that. <laughs> um, and now he's running Gak Family. And his first order of business was to rehire Aunt Becky. Lori Lachlan, who is fresh off of her time in prison for her felony conviction for bribing her daughter's way into college, is coming back to TV with Gak when season two of When Hope Calls, which is a spinoff of When the When Calls the Heart which aired season one on Hallmark streaming service. This is so confusing. I apologize. So this show, so When Calls the Heart airs on Hallmark. It had a spinoff called When Hope Calls. The spinoff aired on a different network. It was owned by Hallmark, but it was their streaming network. It didn't get a second season. It is now getting a second season on this new network that is being run by the person who used to run Hallmark. And Lori Loughlin who used to be on When Calls the Heart, is now going to be on When Hope Calls. It is, it's so incestuous and masturbatory. But Hallmark had to like release all these press releases and be like, no, we did not rehire Lori Laughlin. Sorry, that's not us. Um, we don't associate with criminals, like a whole thing. But she's back. And she's making TV with a homophobe. Blech. All right, some other news. Um, the Boys on Amazon is getting a spinoff. It was officially ordered this past week. Um, it's going to be a young adult version of the show following um, college-age superheroes who go to the only college in America specifically for superheroes. And um, it's being described as part college show, part Hunger Games um, and it's going to be satirical and raunchy, just like The Boys is. It's going to be R-rated, just like The Boys is. Um, and it's going to be run by Michelle Fizikas and Tara Butters, who um, are uh, pretty prolific writers and showrunners. They've done Resurrection at ABC, Reaper. Um, I believe they were on Angel or Buffy. I forget which one for a little bit. Um, they did Emergence on ABC last year, so they know their way around a sci-fi fantasy series. So that will start shooting soon. Um, Law and Order is coming back to TV. The original, the OG, which ran for 20 seasons on NBC before being canceled in 2010, is coming back for season 21 on NBC. Now, I'll believe this when I see it. I feel like this happens all the time where they NBC like tries to bring the show back and it falls through um, or they have plans with Dick Wolf that fall through like last season in the spring, they announced a new law and order spinoff called for the defense that they ordered straight to series. So they had no scripts, no pilot, nothing. They were just like, Oh, we have this idea and we're going to put it on the air in six months. Um, that did not happen. They never, they did not go forward with the show. So it's not coming. It's canceled. Or not even, it never happened. <laughs> they never went, it never went anywhere. Um, 
So this tends to happen where like a network will express interest in bringing it back. Um, and then it just will fall through TNT at one point was going to bring it back. That didn't happen. Um, so I'll believe this when I see it. The reason the show got canceled back in 2010 was a combination of waning ratings and expense. Like it was a 20 year old show and they had to renegotiate contracts and all that stuff. And it got to be too damn expensive. That's also why it didn't come back on a different network because a NBC is a broadcast network. They have tons of money. And if they couldn't afford to air the show, you know, like TNT or some other cable network is not going to be able to afford to air the show. Um, but NBC did officially announce plans to bring it back. So we'll see. And then finally, The Bachelor announced its new host for the season starting in 2022. And it's going to be a, for a former Bachelor, Jesse Palmer. Uh, Jesse Palmer was The Bachelor... Um, a long time ago, I want to say like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, um, probably more 15 years ago. I didn't even know he was on The Bachelor. I know him as like a reality TV person. He used to be on Good Morning America. He hosts Holiday Baking Championship on Food Network, which is how I know him. Um, he replaced Paula Deen's son, Bobby. And he also just hosted that Ultimate Surfer show that was on ABC. He hosted The Proposal, which lasted one season, but I think they were trying to like make a companion to The Bachelor at one point. Um, he's done sports reporting. Um, he was a quarterback in the NFL for before he was The Bachelor. So well-rounded dude um, with experience hosting and also experience on the show. So that's fun. Um, I, I've never watched The Bachelor, but I really like Jesse. And considering that he was a former Bachelor, this is a fun choice. And as far as we know, he's not a racist. So already ABC is coming out ahead. <laughs> All right, that's it for news for this week. Stay tuned for the recaps, the analysis, and a recommendation. I'm sure we have all seen the commercials, we have all seen the billboards, we have all seen the advertisements. NBC's new series, La Brea, has been freaking everywhere. And it looked bad in the previews, it looked stupid in the previews, it looked cheap in the previews, and I am here to tell you, it is all of those things <laughs> in its first episode as well. But it is also surprisingly entertaining. <laughs> so if you are like living under a rock and have not seen the ads on YouTube or Twitter or on TV or driving down the highway or whatever, I will fill you in on what La Brea is. So this is a new series very much in the vein of Lost, as broadcast networks love to be. Um, and it is basically it's the simplest setup ever a sinkhole opens up in los angeles and a bunch of people fall into it that is the setup for la brea that's the story sinkhole people fall in where they go what happened that is the plot that is the plot um now there's a whole shit ton of other stuff that goes on that makes this fucking weird as hell but that's the basic plot line um and obviously just from that one little log line you can you can probably draw the comparisons to lost yourself you know plane crashes disappears off the face of the earth how did they get there who else is with them where are they what's going on how do we leave same thing here only instead of a plane crashing on an island it's people crashing in a sinkhole 
Um, it's also very Land of the Lost. If anybody watched that when you were a kid, it was a show from the 70s. And then when I was young, it was a couple seasons, um, a remake in the early 90s that they used to air reruns on Nickelodeon. And it was also a movie with Will Ferrell maybe like 15 years ago or so. And that's basically about people who fall into um, a time a time loop, not a time loop, like a a black hole or something, a time slip, and they travel back into prehistoric times, and there's like dinosaurs and talking monkeys and slee stacks. Um, it has very much that vibe. And before I even get into what the actual episode was, my issue with these shows and with the broadcast networks trying to do these shows, I've mentioned this before when I've been talking about Manifest um, and how it got canceled last year and then was popular on Netflix and then got renewed on Netflix that like broadcast networks love to try to emulate this bygone era from again, like 20, not 20, like 10 to 15 years ago of this like drawn out mystery um, airing over several seasons and like teasing out information and keeping audiences interested season after season. And they've been trying to replicate this year in, year out for 15 plus years now. And it just hasn't happened. Lost was lightning in a bottle. It did not happen again. It will not happen again, especially now, because the way we consume television is much different now than it was when Lost was on the air. Lost was a huge phenomenon because, one, it got right in before DVR was a thing. So if you wanted to know what was happening on Lost and you wanted answers and you wanted to watch it live and not be spoiled by your coworkers or your friends or the next day, you had to watch that shit live. DVR became ubiquitous, like, toward the end of Lost's run. So that fucked up all these mysteries because we started being able to, like, watch TV at our convenience. That's even worse now with streaming, where if we want to know what's going on on a mystery series, chances are good that, like, Netflix is going to drop a whole season at once. That's why Manifest is so popular, I think, on Netflix compared to on NBC. Why didn't people watch manifest really week after week on NBC because they didn't want to wait for answers on Netflix. They get the whole season all at once after it's air on NBC. So they can sit and watch 13, 20 episodes, however many episodes is all at once. They don't have to wait for answers. That is the problem with these series is that now they're trying to adapt to that formula by doing like a weird setup or a mysterious sci-fi fantasy setup like Lost did, but not teasing out the information over a long period of time. Instead, they're starting to give us answers right away. So like this happened um, not last year, the year before when ABC had Emergence. And that was about like a girl who survived a plane crash and like all this mysterious shit would happen around her and you didn't we didn't know who she was or what she was is she an alien is she a superhero is she a robot like what we don't know what she is and then that was the mystery right is what happened with this plane how did this girl survive but then by the end of i think episode 3 
there were no questions left. We knew who she was. We knew it was behind the mystery. We like, so I stopped watching it. Cause like, there was really no reason to watch anymore. They gave us the whole mystery in three episodes. La Brea is doing a lot of that same thing. We're like, by the end of this first episode, we have a very good idea of what is going on. Now, obviously there are specifics of what is happening and like, how does this work? But like, that's never the interesting thing about these sci-fi fantasy series. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it would be as if Lost told us what the smoke monster was in episode two. Or it would be like if, what was what season was it where the, it was the flash forward where they got off the island? It would be like if at the end of the first episode, they gave us the flash forwards where we know they get off the island at some point. There's no mystery there. So by the end of La Brea's first episode, you know, obviously there are like small things happening and... You know, like, we don't know the fates of the characters and stuff like that. And we don't know how all this is happening or what, you know, like, like what specifically is happening. But we have a good idea that people have fallen into a rip in the time-space continuum and are existing in two different timelines in the same location. So, spoiler alert, if you want to watch La Brea, I, that's, I, I don't think that's a terrible outcome like i don't think that's a terrible mystery but the fact that we know it at the end of the pilot is weird like this is something that again if this was lost we wouldn't be finding this out until like season two or three so like i said the first scene of la brea is literally less than a minute into this pilot the sinkhole starts to open up so there is no attempt at characterization there is no attempt at establishing anything it's just right away sinkhole destruction boom before the main title even rolls, Natalie Z's character, whose name I cannot remember because I don't think I don't even know if they ever mentioned anyone's names, um, falls into this sinkhole. I know they mentioned her kids' names because she screams them over and over. Her kids are Josh and Izzy. Um, falls into the sinkhole and the whole show gets started. It's bizarre. The special effects are wretched, which you may have gathered from the previews. Everything looks so fake. And so cartoonish, like they fall into the sinkhole and they get chased by a wolf and the wolf like looks worse than like, like it looks like it's hand drawn, like it's a literal cartoon. It's terrible. And I'm sure it's because one, this is a pilot. So they, you know, they only delineate a certain amount of money for pilots. So maybe that will improve throughout the season or maybe they'll just use less of it. That's the other problem is that there is so much visual effect, so many visual effects in this first episode that they're all going to end up looking cheap because like you, they, you, you, it's not like any other episode where like maybe they like shoot their wad on a really great special effect and they do it once or like really one really good scene of visual effects. This is throughout. There's the sinkhole. There are these like vulture dinosaur birds that fly out of the sinkhole into Los Angeles. There's the wolf. Um, there is the Northern Lights. There, there's all of this, and I'm sure there's more that I just can't remember scene by scene. There's all of this, oh, there's a drone that they fly into um, the sinkhole. There's so many visual effects that they spread their budget too thin, it looks like. And, and then everything ends up looking really cheap. 
Um, so that's the biggest problem, I think, is not that like the script sucks, which it kind of does. It's not that there is all plot and no character, which is also true. It's that when I'm watching a sci-fi fantasy show, I want it to at least look cool. You know, like even if the show makes no sense, if it looks cool and it looks good, we can forgive a lot of shit, right? Because at least then like it's, it, I mean, look at how many blockbusters in movie theaters survive just because they're made with a ton of money and look really fucking cool. You know, we can forgive a lack of plot. The Fast and the Furious movies are enormous money makers, and people love them. Nothing happens in them. I only saw the first two like decades ago, but nothing happens in them. But we can forgive that because we just want to see some cool shit. That's kind of what I was getting at here. Or I was hoping for here with La Brea is that like at the very least I want it to look cool, but it doesn't. Um, but I am, it, it is entertaining. I like, I don't know why I found myself so entertained by this. And I think part of it is that it's so batshit bonkers crazy. Like there is not even a side story, but like part of the story is that um, Natalie Z's character who like, while I'm talking, I'm going to look up her name because like I said, I don't remember her name even being mentioned. Um, her, I think ex-husband is played by Owen Mackin, who I loved from being on the night shift on NBC. He was also on Merlin, which was a BBC show that aired on sci-fi. Um, he is a former pilot in the army. Her name is Eve. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's so fucking stupid. I didn't know that was her name. That is so dumb. Oh my God. That's like in Hallmark Christmas movies when everyone's name is like Noel. <laughs> Or like Chris, because then you're going to find out his name is Chris Kringle or Chris Mass. <laughs> Her name is Eve. That's so dumb because she travels back in time and is the first. That's so fucking stupid. Okay, that's funny. That's funny. That's camp. That is camp. Y'all, that's camp. I know the Met did camp. The Met Gala did camp as its theme a while ago and no one got it. That is camp. Having a ridiculous sci-fi show. That is about prehistoric dinosaurs and shit where the fur, where this woman travels back in time and at the La Brea fucking tar pits and her name is Eve as if she is the dawn of humanity is, but that's camp. That is camp. Okay. Anyway, her ex-husband is uh, Owen Mackin. He used to be in the army and he has these weird like visions. Like he was um, like discharged or something from the, from Iraq, I want to say. And because he has these weird visions of things that like didn't happen. So like, he thinks they're memories or something. And then he starts having them about Eve. <laughs> I can't stop laughing about that. He starts having them about Eve and his kids. Not his kids. Yeah. Eve and his son and these other people like, they're alive down there. And then there's a whole subplot that like the government is in on it and they know what's going on. And then he like has this vision of <laughs> Wilshire Boulevard, the sign for Wilshire Boulevard, like just randomly hanging on a rock in the park so he like goes to that rock and digs around it. and he digs like three feet and finds his ex-wife's um ring on a necklace which like bitch if they are living like millions potentially years in the past like her goddamn necklace would be more than three feet underground <laughs> so it's just it's so silly it's so dumb there are, like, honest to God, it is very confusing. Because, like, 
it's a government conspiracy, but also it's like a sci, like the, an actual science part of sci-fi, but it's really more fantasy. And like, if they lean into how batshit bonkers weird as fuck this show is and stop taking themselves so seriously, that's my biggest problem with this is that like, Natalie Z just spends most of the episode is telling run and like running from CGI creatures. Um, or if you count the sinkhole as a creature, <laughs> like lean into how campy and silly this show is, i.e. land of the lost. And don't take it seriously. Cause again, that was a problem with lost is that we like built up to this mystery. And then in the final season, a lot of people hated where lost went because it did take itself very seriously the whole time. And then especially in that last season, like I don't know if we didn't want that serious answer or people didn't like the serious answer, but that show was serious up to the end. The more successful shows since then, I feel like don't take themselves as seriously. And I hope manifest being one of them. Um, and that's, I have never watched Manifest. That's from me talking to the one person I know who does watch it. <laughs> um, so maybe if they lean into the silliness of this, if they make it like a nostalgic kind of throwback series to like a, a really strange conceptual, but not trying too hard to make sense kind of show like the 70s Land of the Lost, um, then I think that it could be really fun. Cause like compared to everything else that is airing on broadcast TV this year, this actually, I had fun watching this. Like I will probably watch at least another episode because it's in its stupidity. It is entertaining. It's not just mind numbing. Like that's been my problem so far with like, you know, CBS has another NCIS, another FBI, like, do we need that? No, we don't need that. Um, do, do we need more, like, cop shows? Do we need more procedurals? Do we need, like, Ordinary Joe is the other new NBC drama? And, like, it wasn't bad. I kind of liked it. But, like, do I need another emotionally manipulative, manipulative family drama that takes place in three time periods right now. No, I'm going to wait for This Is Us for that to come back. I'm going to watch that final season. I'm going to cry my fucking eyes out. And then I'm going to move on with my life. Like, I don't need something to fill that space right now. I don't need something that's going to make me sad. I don't need something that's going to, like, just be background noise. Like, sometimes I want to watch something that is mindless. That I can laugh at, intentionally or not. <laughs> And that I can just have fun with. And right now, La Brea is the only thing that I have watched so far this season that is that. So I'm going to give it another shot this week. And if you want to if you want to subject yourself to it, and if you're curious, it airs Tuesdays at 9 o'clock on NBC. And then it streams the next day on both Peacock and Hulu. Well, I didn't plan on talking about Drag Race UK again so soon after the premiere, but um, I had a lot of feelings about this week's episode, episode two of season three. Um, it started out, I got real mad. They did this mini challenge where Crystal Versace, since she won the first episode, 
um, got to give these like seniors superlative type things out to the rest of the cast. And um, one of them was, Rue said, who do you think is your biggest competition? And she said, Victoria Scon, uh, who again, if you did not listen last week or watch yourself, is the first um, cisgender female uh, contestant on Drag Race, his, Drag Race in history. So, um, and she did very well. The first episode was in the runner up and Crystal said, well, she's not my biggest competition. She's just the biggest and turned it into a big old fat joke, which like grown great. Wonderful. That's exactly what we need on drag race in 2021 is to call the only cis female woman to ever be on the show fat. Great. Love it. Um, so I'm immediately mad. Then later in the episode, you know, a few minutes later, Victoria sits down and has a conversation with Crystal, you know, about her own body image issues and how she used to be a dancer. So she used to be very thin and bulimic. She said she weighed eight stone at one point, which is like a hundred pounds. Um, and, you know, that she's very happy with herself and she's not mad at Crystal, but wants her to know that like you could say this to the wrong person and they will take it very personally. And, you know, you don't know what people are going to do and how they're going to react when you say things like that. And Crystal was very apologetic and, you know, was like, I, I didn't mean it that way. I just, my instinct was I was on the spot, be shady. And unfortunately that's low hanging fruit is to make fun of somebody's size. And like this, I was so happy to hear this conversation because we, it is low hanging fruit and it's one of the final frontiers in, um, in like insult comedy and in just in general, like it is one of the final accepted things to judge someone for like we've reached a point where you can no longer be openly racist and someone will not say anything you cannot be openly homophobic and no one will say anything you can't be openly even in a lot most places transphobic and people won't say anything um or misogynistic or whatever but you can still be very openly and very aggressively fat phobic and it is generally acceptable. There is so much ingrained fat phobia in our culture from all angles that a lot of times we don't even realize it's fat phobic. It's the same, like misogyny is the same way. There are so many things that women and female presenting people deal with on a daily basis that is misogynistic or sexist that we don't even think about um, that it's it's second nature it's ingrained in who we are as a culture and that happens a lot with homophobia as well and we're and racism and we're getting better at calling out those things we're getting better at calling out misogyny and racism and homophobia and even now in a lot of cases transphobia but we are not good at calling out the fat phobia like, we are not good. At, I mean, just think about, like, if you need to go shopping for jeans, if you can go to a store and readily find your size, that is not the case for most people who are of a certain larger size. If you have to go to a specialty store to find your size in clothing, that's fat phobic. If you look at a magazine and don't see a single person who even approaches your body type. That's fat phobic. If there were today, I'm recording this on Sunday morning. 
yesterday on Saturday, I opened Twitter and found and found trending on my Twitter page, on my Twitter page, discover page, whatever it is. Hashtag stop being fat was trending yesterday on Twitter. So this is ingrained in us that like, well, it's okay to judge people by their size because you can fix that. You can lose weight. And now I've mentioned before, I have been losing weight for about the past six and a half months. Um, I went to a doctor. I was told some scary shit about my weight and my health. So I made the decision to lose weight for health purposes. It was not for aesthetic purposes. It was not for vanity purposes. It was not because someone called me fat, whatever. I've been dealing with that my entire life. It was because I did not want to be on medication at 33 for the rest of my life. And luckily for me, I was able to change that. I had my six month blood work done and I, in those six months, reversed the health issues that I was approaching. So that's great for me. That is not everyone's journey. Weight loss is personal. Dieting is personal. Exercise is personal. And a lot of people cannot help their body types. Like I lost over 65 pounds in six months. And I am still not what anyone would call thin or small. I am closer to a normal size. Like I can probably go to Old Navy this week and get a new pair of jeans and not have to worry about them not having my waist size. Um, I don't have to special order clothes. I don't have to pay extra for a t-shirt because I need a larger size right now. That's not how it works for everyone. Some people physically, biologically have issues losing weight. Weight and body size are not always because someone likes to eat ice cream and pizza. That is not always the case. In many, many cases, that is not the truth. So I was happy to see this conversation happening and it kind of, it made me feel better about Crystal Versace. It made me feel better about Drag Race as a whole because gay culture, especially is very entrenched in fat phobia. Um, There is a portion of the community, the bears that celebrate um, body size, but by and large, the gay community does not celebrate larger body sizes. And as someone who has a larger body size, that has always been difficult for me. I let go of my own body issues a long time ago. But when I was in my early 20s, my teen years, when I like initially came out when I was 16, it was really hard for me to f- try to find a place in a community that does not not only not celebrate, but barely acknowledge people who are not Adonises, right? Um, And that is very true on Drag Race. We have, until Lawrence Cheney, we did not have a, what the fandom likes to call big girls as a winner. And Lawrence Cheney just won like less than six months ago on UK, which is great. Um, How many big girls have we seen get to the finale of Drag Race and then not win? Um, Ginger Minja just happened on All-Star 6. Now, I will not argue that she should have won All-Star 6 because I don't think she should have. 
Um, Eureka just made it to the top on All-Star 6 and didn't win. Eureka made it to the finale of Season 10 and didn't win. Ginger made it to the finale of Season 7 and didn't win. And in both of those cases, they lost to the thinnest queens, not only on their season, but, like, maybe to ever be on Drag Race. Like, Violet, Season 7, when she beat Ginger Minj, her entire shtick was, like, she wrapped a belt around her waist and, like, cinched it to 12 or 14 inches or something. Like, her most famous runway is for being absurdly skinny, you know? Um, it was it's, it was very much time to have this conversation on Drag Race, and I'm glad that it happened. But then we got to the end of the episode and all that goodwill was gone because it was a bullshit judging, <laughs> and it was a terrible challenge, and it was a parody of Peloton called Dragaton, which when I saw the title of the episode on the WoW Presents Plus app, I thought it said drag a ton. And then hearing this like fat phobia conversation, I was like, oh my God, is this something to do with weight? Like, is this episode about weight? And it wasn't, but it also was like Peloton is, no offense if you're a Peloton person, a cult of weight loss people, as most weight loss and fitness tends to be a fucking cult. Um, but it was uh, it was Peloton, not not it was it was Dragaton, not Dragaton, which would have been a little worse but it was like basically the a, a dance challenge where they're like dancing on exercise bikes or with weights or with exercise balls and it was just bad the choreography was done by Odie Mabusi who is a dancer on Strictly Come Dancing which is like the UK version of, of Dancing with the Stars and she came in obviously like with an idea for the choreography and with choreography in her head and did not adjust it to the abilities of the girls just like made them do it and like it it didn't look good it didn't look good on anybody even the professional dancers the ones who actually are dancers like Ella Viday and um and Electra Fence and Victoria Scone though we'll get to her in a second um it didn't it did not look good on them it just it was too fast it was sloppy it was clearly not planned to be done in heels which almost all of them, again, except for Victoria Scum, we'll get to that in a second, did. So it just looked sloppy. It looked bad. No one should have won. No one. It, it was bad. It was just, it was ugly. It was gross. It, it sucked. Um, and then we got to the judging and it was just cracktastic judging from Drag Race once again. Crystal Versace won, and I couldn't tell you one thing that she did other than yell the lines that she was given. Like, she was given the quote-unquote funniest, although none of them were funny, like, motivational lines in the sketch, but she did not do very well in the dancing. She actually obviously messed up at least once. Um, and then they kept saying Electra Fence uh, was ahead of the beat, but, like, it didn't look off to me when they were showing it. So at most, I would say she was at, or at worst, she was a half beat ahead, which I'm sorry, as someone who has danced in the past and has choreographed in the past, I would rather have someone be a half beat ahead than a full beat behind, which is what happened with the rest of Electra's group. Um, so to me, it didn't look very bad, but she ended up being in the bottom with Vanity Milan and um, a Charity Case. And I was just very confused because in the challenge, Victoria Scone had hurt her knee and could not do the choreography. She sat on a stool during the dance challenge. Now, I know that you've injured yourself, so this is not your fault. However, 
you can't do the challenge, you get put in the bottom. Like that should be the rules. If you cannot do the challenge, you don't get to be safe. And she was just safe for sitting on a stool during a dance challenge. I'm sorry, I loved Victoria in the first episode, and I loved that she was in this conversation with Crystal in this episode, but she should have gone home because she couldn't dance. But she didn't. Electra Fence was in the bottom, and she was up against Vanity Milan in the bottom two, which, again, Charity Case should have been down there. She was worse. It should have been Charity and Victoria in the bottom. This was bizarre. And then Electra slayed the fuck out of the lip sync once again, and... Still went home. I think because they only cast one black queen this season and they don't want to send her home right away, which I agree with. And also Vanity shouldn't have been in the bottom anyway. Neither should have Electra, in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. And then the episode ends with Victoria stepping forward and Rue saying, you have to go to the doctor tomorrow and we're going to go off of his doctor's orders of if you can stay in the competition. Now, this is fucking stupid for two reasons. One, Victoria could have seen this doctor at any point during this challenge, which I believe was over two days. She could have seen the doctor that day or the day before. She did not. They saved her for this challenge. She's seeing them again. We all know one of two things is going to happen. Either the doctor is going to say you cannot compete and she gets eliminated, a la Eureka in season nine. Then she's gone and we just sent Electra home for no fucking reason. Or number two, the doctor is going to say, you need to stay off of it as much as possible, but you can stay in the competition. And she's going to not be able to perform at the highest level. And she's going to be put in the bottom and or sent home very soon anyway. It's one of those two things. So why are we playing this game? Why did we do this? Why didn't we just put Victoria in the bottom? Because she couldn't do the challenge this time. I don't get it. I don't, I really don't understand. So we lost a very talented dancing queen in Electra Fence in episode two. And as much as I said last week that I'm looking forward to this season and it seems like a fun group of girls. And as much as I really enjoyed that talk that they had, the judging is fucking off the wall already. And I don't understand it. There's no reason that Crystal should have won this week, especially after winning last week. Like, she is now a very clear frontrunner for absolutely no reason. Um, and there was, I don't understand the bottom placements. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand RuPaul. I really don't. So if you're not watching Drag Race UK, I'm sorry that this is the second week in a row you had to listen to me talk about it, but you should be watching it. It's on WoW Presents Plus and episodes drop on Thursday, and it's well worth the subscription price to get WoW Presents Plus because number one, Drag Race UK is airing right now, and next week, Canada's Drag Race comes back, which I really liked season one of Canada's Drag Race. It reminded me a lot of season one of RuPaul's Drag Race, of being kind of like heavy on personality and talent, but light on like budget. <laughs> and Priyanka was a great winner. I love Canada's Drag Race. I'm very excited. And Brad Goreski from E! is going to be one of the permanent judges. Brooklyn Heights from season 11 of RuPaul's Drag Race is one of the judges. It's well worth it. So starting this month, we're going to have two Drag Race international um, installations running at the same time. And I think WoW Presents Plus is like $3.99 a month or something. So it is well worth it. And then on top of that, they've also started airing Binge Queens, which is like a people's couch version uh, or a people's couch type thing with 
RuPaul's Drag Race queens watching UK Drag Race. So like if you didn't watch The People's Couch, it was, I'm not even exaggerating, one of my all-time favorite reality shows. It aired on Bravo for a few seasons, like seven or eight years ago. And it was literally just a bunch of people. We watched a bunch of people watch TV. It still airs in the UK as Gogglebox. Um, and it was like Scott Nevins, who was on Binge Queens, uh, and Emerson Collins and Blake McIver would sit together and watch TV. So it was like three gay comedians watching TV and making fun of it. It was a family watching TV together. It was two sisters watching TV together. And it was literally just like them commenting on TV. It was watching people do what I'm doing right now that as they are watching TV, we're hearing their comments and we're like getting clips of the series and like we're laughing with them. It was great. I loved that show. So WoW Presents Plus is doing a version of that with drag queens from Drag Race. It's Pandora Box, Kylie Sonique Love, Laganja Estranja, and I'm sure others that I just forgot because I haven't watched the most recent episode yet. And they're watching Drag Race UK and commenting on it. So that just started. Um, and then there's other shit all over WoW Presents Plus you can catch up on. Like, if you want to torture yourself, you can watch this season of Drag Race Holland, which um, was not very good. <laughs> there's Drag Race Thailand is on there. Past seasons of Drag Race UK are on there. Um, there's, like, short-form web series on there. Uh, there's one that I really liked that Priyanka hosted called What's My Game, where it's, like, a Zoom game show of her and like semi-celebrities and uh, drag race queens competing in like a ruleless game show that Priyanka hosts. Um, Cara Michaels and Vanessa Vangie Mateo have a series together where they talk about gay sex, which we don't talk about a whole lot. So that's fun. And it's just, it's like I said, it's worth $3.99 a month. It, it really is. And then like once these shows are over, cancel. And then, you know, if you want to re-up when they're airing again, go for it. Um, I went on a lot longer than I anticipated, but that's okay. So hopefully I won't have to talk about Drag Race UK next week and maybe the judging will not be ridiculously stupid and I'll drop in maybe throughout the season or more toward the finale so that it's, this is not just a Drag Race UK recap podcast. <laughs> we are still... Still ramping everything up for the fall season, so there's a lot of premieres and finales this week, starting with the fourth season of On My Block, dropping on Netflix on Monday. Dinner Impossible, returning to Food Network on Tuesday. I, like, I know that's like barely a real show, but I, I love it. Um, everyone's dads should be very happy on Wednesday because Terry Bradshaw's reality series comes back for season two, finally. The Bradshaw Bunch on E!, and then CBS uh, premieres the rest of its lineup with Tough as Nails at 9 o'clock. And then the series premiere they're marketing as, even though it's the return of the original CSI, subtitled Vegas. That's coming on Wednesday at 10. On Thursday, Hulu is releasing its own kind of like Food networky Top Chef, Great British Bake Off show called Baker's Dozen. And then Peacock is releasing the first three episodes of One of Us is Lying, which is a young adult adaptation of the best-selling book by Karen McManus. There's the second season of Sexy Beasts is already releasing on Netflix, even though the first one I think just came out like literally two months ago. But okay. Um, and then CBS's um, Thursday Night lineup returns in full with Young Sheldon, United States of Owl, um, a one-hour premiere of its new series, Ghosts, which looks terrible. 
um, and then Be Positive comes back next comes back next week, and then the sixth season of Bull since it is moving from Monday to Thursday. Oh, and also we are getting a new bunch of episodes of Rugrats, the reboot from Paramount Plus, including a Halloween special. So that's fun. On Friday, Netflix is releasing a new series called Pretty Smart, which I am excited for because one of my favorite drag queens has a part in it out of drag, Meatball. Um, Also on Friday, uh, Shark Tank comes back on ABC, and so does Nancy Drew on The CW. Um, And then Peacock also starts the second season of its uh, talk show, The Amber Ruffin Show. And then on Sunday, again, CBS's lineup returns with The Equalizer, that new Queen Latifah show that's based on an old show, um, NCIS Los Angeles, and the fifth season of SEAL Team, which I mentioned earlier, is going to be premiering on CBS and then transitioning in the second half of its season to Paramount+. Plus. The CW's Sunday lineup is all new and is premiering on Sunday. It's two game shows, one of which I'm super excited for. It's Legends of the Hidden Temple which I watched religiously, as did everyone who was a child of the 90s on Nickelodeon. If you grew up in the 90s, you watched this show every time it was on, no matter how many times you'd seen the episode, and all you wanted to do, like your life's dream, was to run through Olmec's temple, face the temple guards, win, and go to space camp. That's what we all wanted. We all wanted, we all had our team. Um, I always wanted to be an orange iguana, but... Purple Parrots, Silver Snakes, whatever team you're on, I don't judge. But it's coming back full scale, one hour long, true to life, actual in the jungle temple hosted by Crisella Alonzo on the CW on Sunday. That's followed by Killer Camp, which is an American remake of a British show that CW actually aired a couple of seasons ago. And it was one of the worst things I've ever seen where like it's like a role-playing game show where they throw a bunch of people at a camp and then like pretend that each of them gets killed and they have to figure out who the killer is. So dumb, but maybe they've improved upon it. Who knows? And then CNN is also premiering a new season of This Is Life with Lisa Wang. Okay, finales. Uh, Bachelor in Paradise is riding off into the sunset. Tiki sunset. Uh, Turner and Hooch and What If are wrapping up their seasons on Disney+. Plus. The fifth season finale of Riverdale airs on Wednesday, even though it's coming right back the first week of November for its sixth season on A New Night. In the Dark airs its finale on The CW as well. Archer has its twelfth season finale. Um, Hulu is dropping the last episode of The Premise, which you may remember I did not like very much. The CW is airing the series finale, so last ever episode of The Outpost. Um, Evil is wrapping up its second season on Paramount Plus on Sunday. Stars has the first season finale of Heels, which is a wrestling show starring Stephen Amell from Arrow. HBO wraps up scenes from a marriage. The Walking Dead has its fall season finale. And Showtime is airing the second season finale of Work in Progress. Whew. Take a breath. That was a lot. It's a lot that's happening this week. Um, Okay, so my recommendation is for the true crime lovers. I know you are out there. Um, I'm not really a big true crime person. I never got into the craze. Um, like there are certain stories and shows and movies and podcasts and stuff that I get really into. Like I love Criminal, the podcast, but that's, I don't, so it's like a variation on true crime. I listened to Up and Vanished, um, Serial. I liked one of the three seasons. So like, I'm, I'm not huge into it. I can't stand the Oxygen Network. I don't like, I don't watch true crime really, but 
This show came up in my Hulu recommendations for some reason, and it's called Wild Crime. So it's four episodes. The first season is four episodes. It's done by ABC News. And like I said, it's all airing right now on uh, Hulu. They released one episode a day last week. And just because like I was, you know, like doing other things, like I was grading papers this weekend. So I needed background noise. So I put it on and like halfway through, I heard what the story was about. And I was like, and I just watched the whole thing in one afternoon and did not grade my papers. <laughs> anyway, um, so the concept of the show is that every season is going to follow um, a true crime story that happens in um, the national parks. So it's following uh, federal investigators in national parks. So this season is subtitled Murder in the Rocky Mountains. And basically, it's about this couple, um, Tony and Howard Henthorne, who go hiking on their honeymoon, not their honeymoon, on their anniversary. And Howard calls 911 because Tony falls off a cliff. And, like, you find out later that, you know, it's called Murder in the Rocky Mountains, so not a spoiler, that she didn't fall, it wasn't an accident, he pushed her, and, like, the investigation into how they find this out with like the timeline of what he's explaining, not matching up to like text messages he received and the 911 operator assuming that he wasn't actually trying to help her because she didn't hear him doing CPR. And it was, it was wild. (laughs) So like, not only is this crime that is happening in the wild, the crime itself is wild. It was so crazy like i got about halfway through once they started investigating this as a murder and immediately i like i couldn't not pay attention like they find a map in his car with an x mark where the accident is but he's like oh it's my first time here and they like triangulated his phone and he'd been there a ton of times before then you find out in the end of the first episode that this is not just one wild crime it's at least two wild crimes. And then you find out about the death of his first wife was an accident, quote unquote, that as they investigate, they find out was most likely not an accident. So it just kept getting crazier and crazier. And then like the third episode, we find out that there was potentially going to be a third victim. And then like, he has a daughter with this woman that he murdered and he goes to trial and like the man is fucked in the head. Like it's who it, it, it was a lot. And I, it, I was into it. I was into it. You, I'm sure there are people who have already heard of this case. Like there've been a couple books written about it. Um, and I'm sure it's been covered on like my favorite murder or other, you know, podcasts, true crime podcasts you listen to, or if you're in a true crime Facebook group, whatever, you've probably heard of this crime. I never had. So it was like engrossing for me. And it actually made me really curious to know like what this show is going to be going forward. Like, I don't know how often they're planning to produce seasons like this. Like this reminded me of last season when uh, Dateline did that three episode um, arc of like the widower, I think it was called where they trace like this guy or this yeah, this guy and, like, all of his dead wives. It was very similar to that, where it was kind of, like, um, rather than being its own thing, it was, like, it was an extension of 2020 or something. 
Um, but the whole concept of this being like forest cops <laughs> is fun. And I really liked it. It went by real quick. So I recommend it, especially if you have an empty afternoon, like on a Sunday or something, you could do a lot worse than this show. All right. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic. I'll be back next week with more recaps, more reviews, more analysis, and more recommendations. Have a good week, everyone.